following is an exclusive presentation of News Radio KMAN, your home for K State athletics. It's game time. This is the game on News Radio KMAN. I guess it's just you and me, kid. Where's Dave? I don't know. What? He's not here? <laughs> Dave? Dave's not here, man. Okay, well, I guess, yeah, we'll just do it together then. <laughs> Hi, folks. Welcome into a shortened version of the game this afternoon. Troy Coverdale's my name. She's Sajay. At the, the controls. Cool kids, at the, as the cool kids call me now. Yes. And even some of us uncool. Elderly boomers. Okay, you're maybe not cool elderly. cool enough. You're cool enough, Troy. <sighs> I had to... Let, let's start off with a good chuckle here this afternoon. Let's bring in Don Koharski. Koho, what did you see? Yeah, I'm with Jonesy 100% here, guys. This because he picks up the from the high stick or potential high stick and picks it up himself. That has to be above the shoulder. Oh. Puck on the stick above the shoulder. Holy... TNT broadcast the other evening, the Avalanche and Edmonton game, and that was the uh, referee analyst or analyst. See, that's something that I get worried about. Every time I turn on my microphone, I'm like, gotta rein it in. It's okay. Listen, there's there's truth in broadcasting at that point, honestly. And he was on cable so he can get by with it. We, of course, have to beep it out. Producer friend of mine passed that along today for a good laugh because he was actually working the Rockies game that night and didn't have an opportunity until today to go back and watch the highlights and found that and he was dying absolutely dying well it is a good afternoon in the fact that the royals pick off a victory today they actually got some offense today carlos santana actually showed signs of life today let's see what else can we get out of that brady singer pulled his out of his backside finally today uh for at least a few innings after giving up three runs early but the royals got three in the first never trailed the 4th, 5th, 6th, and 7th innings were the difference today for Kansas City as they win it 8-4, to four, and Mitch will be very disappointed tomorrow because he will not be able to celebrate a 17-38 and 38 day. No, the Royals improved to 18-37 and 37 with the victory this afternoon and now look to a four-game set with the Orioles starting tomorrow night. Went with a couple of hits. Benatendi got on base on a couple of walks today. Uh, it, they noted in the in the post game everybody got on base at least once today. Okay, that's great. Where was that the last two nights? This team will drive me bonkers before this season is over. I swear, there is no consistency whatsoever out of this group, and. About the only thing consistent is is that they just aren't going to fire Cal Elderit. It is maddening how inconsistent they can be. Benintendi, though, uh, batting average now at 315, OPS at 787, continues to be really the bright spot in the midst of discussion about potential trade targets. 
Someone I noted today on social media now talking that Michael A. Taylor might be someone that would be of interest going forward. That's the worst part about this right now is, again, this was a team that was supposed to be improved and one that would build towards some things. And now here we are talking about potentially blowing it all up. The bullpen continues to create adventures. Scott Barlow giving up three hits in an inning of work at least had an 8-3 to three cushion. Um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know what to say about this pitching staff anymore. I really don't because just as the team as a whole is inconsistent, about the only thing that is consistent with this pitching staff is that it's just bad. It's bad. Almost an entire run worse than the rest of the league in terms of ERA. That is horrendous. We can no longer argue the difference, by the way, between American League and National League pitching because the National League teams now have the designated hitter in play, so uh, the numbers aren't skewed anymore. If you're the worst team pitching-wise in the majors, you just out and out are the worst team pitching-wise in the majors, and that right now is Kansas City. Yet they figured out a way to get out of it today, and that's just because the offense kept going. They were able to get to Toronto's starter early. Kikuchi only went two-thirds of an inning this afternoon before they had to go to the bullpen. And Toronto utilizing eight pitchers this afternoon. <laughs> Good grief. You know, that that's when you know that your day is gone bad, when you're four innings into the game and you're already under your third pitcher of the day yeah not not pretty not pretty whatsoever for toronto yet i could care less for toronto at at that point it's the royals that get to take the victory and be able to look forward now to the orioles coming in for four starting tomorrow night and let's see here that's a matchup for kansas city that saw them Faced some struggles earlier in the season in Baltimore. But the Orioles are just six games better in the win column at 24 and 33. Fred White used to utilize the phrase, if you dream, or we can dream. And, okay, we can dream a little. And that would be that the Royals actually take what occurred today and start to turn that into something consistent. The flaw is, is that the schedule does not lend itself to a lot of that type of thinking. After playing four coming up, it's the Giants, the A's, the Angels, all on the West Coast as Kansas City will be looking at another 10-day trip to play nine games. Then it's back home for the A's and the Rangers coming in. Not knock-down, drag-out records by opponents, but the Giants continue to be in that mix out in the National League West. The A's are the team that are closest to the Royals in terms of woeful pitching. 
And while the Angels are mired in a 13-game slide that saw them fire their manager yesterday afternoon, they still are just three games under 500 on the season. Each of them is going to be looking at the Royals going, Aha! Opportunity! That's why it frustrates me that more hasn't been accomplished on this homestand, first of all, by the Royals. Now, granted, they've had to face two very good teams from other divisions. The Astros currently the leaders in the West, or in the West, yes. The Blue Jays right there in the mix in the East, and their offense having gotten very hot. It's the games against the Guardians that frustrate me that saw Kansas City on the road trip not be able to do much against them. It's the Guardians, for crying out loud. They're not that good this year. And and therein lies a huge point about the American League Central. Nobody's a standout in this division. Nobody's going to run away with this division. Every team thus far that has bolted out to a good start or a good stretch in the division has wound up coming back to the middle of the pack or to the crowd, if you will, because they just have not been able to maintain. None of them are that good. And you would think that that would be a prime opportunity for Kansas City to be in the mix. But instead, the team finds itself saddled with a well-below average pitching staff and an offense that has been more missed than hit since this season got underway. Right now, Minnesota's atop the division at 32-25. and 25. Kansas City's 13 games back from that. It's not insurmountable, and I'm not saying that the Royals are going to be a part of the race, but for crying out loud, I mean, that's... The, the rest of this division is under 500. But the Royals have played the worst out of the entire group with just the 18 wins. They still are two games back of anybody else in terms of wins overall on the year. Oakland, 20 and 37. Cincinnati, by far and away the team that everybody expected to be the dumpster fire this year in Major League Baseball, Cincinnati is 20 and 35. Colorado has fallen off the pace. They were at 500 when the Royals were in town last month. Colorado is 24 and 31 in their division. So, you know, it's 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 not as if the Royals are in a spot where they can't make up some things and, and turn this into some respectability. But it has to start with this pitching staff, and this is why I continue to make the joke that, and yet, Cal Eldred still has a job. For those who don't maybe understand the genesis of that joke, I invite you to 
go back and view Saturday Night Live in the days of Chevy Chase on Weekend Update, where there was a running gag about deceased Spanish President Franco that Chase consistently made, and that is that, you know, such and such Guillermo Franco is still dead. (laughs) And yet, the Kansas City Royals have not fired Cal Eldred. I don't know what it's going to take for this team to understand that that has to be a step if they're even going to put butts in the seats through the remainder of this summer and have this team come out of this year respectable. The only team that has played worse over the last 10 games is Oakland at 1-9. and nine. I take that back. It is the Angels. I forgot. 0-10. Oh because they're on that 13-game slide. Beyond that, the Royals have gotten outscored by 92 runs this season. They are 10-19 and 19 at home. It is just inexplicable to me how bad this team is granted i had a buffer the last time that this team was that the, that the royals were this bad as a franchise i had set up shop in greeley colorado at that point and was working morning news so my wake-up call was 3 a.m i was also traveling quite a bit because of the football and basketball schedules So, I was just catching Royals' scores as much as anything in the morning. They were still my team, and yes, they lost 100-some-odd games. It wasn't that dramatically painful because I had that buffer. I wasn't invested in wanting to watch my team. I didn't have time to. I wasn't trying to listen to... Denny and Ryan at that point. Just the way that things had worked out in life. By God, if this team goes for 100 losses this year, I'm going to lose my mind. You know, it's, it's been a joke in Colorado the last few years that literally they've kind of even turned it into a the watch for or they rode to 100 because they felt that that franchise has been that bad. And yet they, each year, come out of it not horrendous. No great shakes, but when you're in a division that has the Dodgers, San Diego, and San Francisco willing to spend money the way that they do, especially the Dodgers, and San Diego has tried to keep up with them to limited success, But let's face it, that is a murderer's row of a division right now. And Colorado finds themselves mired in last place because they have utterly mismanaged the front office multiple times over. And as expected, their pitching is a problem. Welcome to having Coors Field as your home stadium. I don't know that you get around that, even with the humidor. I don't know that you get around 
the issues with Colorado and altitude. So the joke has been that they've been on the path to 100 multiple years running now. They've not gotten it. They have found ways to actually be proud enough to not do it. It remains to be seen whether the Royals, specifically management, is proud enough to not see this team go X and 100. 62 and 100 would just, oh, I, I, I don't even, I, 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 what hair I have left on my head may completely fall out at that point. And I passionately, passionately will be cheering for September at that point because football season won't come soon enough. Coming back, more names getting involved in the Live Tour, the Saudi-funded golf tour that wants to be the competitor to the PGA. New one that came out today I don't think will be all that much of a surprise for folks. That when we continue on the game. The U.S. Open next week could be awkward. The Open CEO yesterday announcing that, oh, it doesn't matter this group of players that will be essentially putting their futures with the PGA Tour on the line by going to play in the Saudi-backed Live Tour, saying that they're able to play in the U.S. Open next week. And I realize that from a oh legalistic standpoint, that's the only option, really, that the USGA has in allowing the group to play when the Open takes place. But the PGA now has itself a problem. A Saudi-funded problem. Which is exactly what people like Phil Mickelson wanted to happen. Troy Coverdale with you this afternoon on the game. No Dave G this afternoon. Mitch is in Kansas City-ish. Independence, actually. Getting ready to watch wrestling tonight as the AEW is on hand. Three shows. They're live one tonight, plus they're recording two more at the small arena there in Independence. So today... And again, known for being probably one of the most notorious, to borrow the phrase that I've always loved from Jim Rome, one of the guys known for being a notorious red ass in the game, Bryson DeChambeau now is getting ready to be a part of the Live Tour. You've got Dustin Johnson, which is interesting because he's not wanting for money as he's married to Wayne Gretzky's daughter. 
You've got Phil Mickelson, who, well, let's face it, it just may out and out be a need for the money because he's gambled away pretty much everything. Oh, and broke tax laws in the process. And now Bryson DeChambeau, the 2020 U.S. Open winner, is apparently going to be participating not this weekend in London, but at the second event that the Live Tournament will hold, which will be at Pumpkin Ridge in Portland, Oregon. For whatever reason, it is a group of golfers that has tended to bristle at how the PGA is run. I find that rather interesting. Because, I mean, just in general, we all have a view of the PGA as being a specific class event. And yet, proving that you're not going to get everybody to agree on everything, you now have this group getting involved with a government that is a human rights nightmare. And I'm not going to get into the political weeds on this. I'm just pointing that out. I know that there are people that are going to argue that we as Americans, that America as a whole and Britain as a whole, given that, well, we help supply weapons of war to that country, really have no room to talk in terms of their human rights. (sighs) That. That's where you get when you get into this conversation. That, that's how ugly this is. You know, it's not like the AFL-NFL fight back in the 60s, where it just was an out-and-out competition for players and money. Or even the USFL's attempt, ill-advised by then New York Generals slash or New York slash New Jersey Generals owner Donald Trump to try to compete with the NFL. By the way, the AFL-NFL merger was announced on this date in 66. Historical note for you. But the PGA now finds itself in a spot where you have major winners, major winners, who are going to take part in the live tour eight events total that they are running including this weekend in london as we talked about another name that has cropped up uh i thought i saw it on here and for of course it's not in my notes uh but you have 
again, another potential of a one-time PGA Tour major winner making a move over there. And the PGA has, beyond this problem, has to deal with the fact that it currently has no draw, no one, that can replace Tiger Woods. For all of the talent that is on the tour right now, there is not a single person that has the draw of Tiger Woods. They could find themselves literally losing this fight with the live tour if they're not careful. It's going to be interesting to watch and see how this plays out less the politics more the just general competition all right the running gag is it's the number two song we'll get to that coming back on the game Find a good copy of this song online is a near impossibility. I'm mad that I didn't have my master music collection handy today that I could pull out. 1983 for Eddie Grant. Five weeks at number two. Wait until I tell you what blocked it. Written, recorded, produced by the British singer-songwriter who released it on his 1982 album, Killer on the Rampage. It quickly became one of the MTV favorites at a time that MTV, by the way, had been called out by David Bowie for not showing enough videos with black musicians in them. Originally filmed in Barbados, the video basically took off and helped propel the song to number two on the Billboard Hot 100, where Flashdance, What a Feeling by Irene Cara beat it for a couple of weeks. Sajay. It's a shock to me that this wasn't ever number one. Because, okay, when this song first started, I don't think I've heard the very start of this song for some reason. And I was like, what is this? And then it started getting on. I was like, oh, of course I know what this is. So it's like, it's a shock to me that this was never number one. The other song that blocked it makes a little more sense than Flashdance, What a Feeling. Every Breath You Take by the Police. Okay, that does make more sense. Because, yeah, I was like, Flashdance? Really? (laughs) 
that movie that summer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The song's title refers to Electric Avenue in the South London district of Brixton. The first market street to be lit by electricity in London. According to Grant, he first became aware of the existence of the street when he was acting at the Black Theater of Brixton. The area is also known for a high population of Caribbean immigrants. At the beginning of the 80s, as identified by the Scarman Report, Tensions over unemployment, racism, and poverty exacerbated by racist policing culminated in the street events now known as the 1981 Brixton Riot. Grant, horrified and enraged, wrote and composed a song in response to the events. Shortly afterward, he left to go live in the Barbados, and his most recent batch of songs were lost during transit. One of the songs that he wrote to make up for that lost material, Electric Avenue. Now, let's bring this song into 2022. Okay, before I do that, you had something to say. I was going to say, looking at the lyrics, because I started kind of reading them while we were going, and then hearing the the beat. I don't know, like... I know a lot of people have a problem with like music that's upbeat and then lyrics being kind of, mm-hmm. th- th- you know, th- you feel not like the they may not fit yeah. sometimes. Yeah, but I kind of like that vibe that he's going for with that, with having these dark lyrics and then a very upbeat song. Mark your calendars for June twenty first. Eddie Grant is scheduled for a deposition that day. As is former President Donald Trump. Immediately, the entire audience goes, what? Me? Yeah, what? (laughs) Yeah, record scratch. Let me tell you how I got here. So, as has been political history since Ronald Reagan specifically, utilized Born in the USA against Bruce Springsteen's wishes, and despite the lyrics being completely against what Reagan wanted that to stand for. Well, holding to that history, Donald Trump and his uh, campaign folks sent out a tweet that had an animation over the track of this in the back of it. What? The suit filed in 2020 seeks $300,000 in damages for a copyright violation as it was a Biden-bashing tweet from before the presidential election. Grant, suing because it was in the background of that animation, posted to Trump's Twitter account on August 12, 2020, and nobody can go back and see it. Wait, what? Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, 40 seconds of the song was used in the animation. It showed Biden puttering along on a slow-moving hand car, as the Trump campaign barrels by in a high-speed train. can understand why he would, you know, want to sue for that. <laughs> 13 million views before it was taken down a month later. 
Trump's side says the animation is political satire and as such should be exempt from copyright law. Uh, it's not about the animation. It's not about the animation. <laughs> it's about the song. <laughs> and his attorneys claim that the campaign just reposted it with no idea where it came from. Leading ignorance. No, yeah. I mean, some artists, I think artists do have a right to, like, if they don't want their song used in a certain way or having a certain message, they have a right to say, no, you can't use my song like that. As I said, it has been the heritage for the last 40 years to not give a damn about that if you're the candidate. I guess so. <laughs> How many times do you hear the story nowadays? Honestly, it's... it's. Well, and this song does not make sense for that message at all. Correct. That also is a huge point in this, but I mean, let's face it, you're talking campaigns and they don't always pay attention. Yeah. yeah. And let's be honest, some Joe sitting there putting the video together, the animation together, that's not even tied to the campaign, but just some online troll having fun, he knows the song because he just loves the beat to it. And that's a lot of music. You hear that nowadays. Like I was saying earlier, where it's like the lyrics and the music don't necessarily match. Right. Um, that happens all the time, where people don't listen to the lyrics always. They're just kind of like, oh, this song is great. I, this is jamming. <laughs> we had a little to do when I was in college over a song that I dedicated at the time to Saddam Hussein. And it was a Cure song. Yeah. That has to do with Arabs on the Beach. Okay. It's an anti-war track. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And someone mistook the point behind it and... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know me well enough to understand that's not going to be my approach. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. But of course, what does it turn into? It's like, come on, people. Wake up. Do you even know, Troy? <laughs> Uh, so, 1983, by the way, speaking of 1983, it was on this date that the movie that would go on to be the highest grosser of the summer was released. Dan Aykroyd, Eddie Murphy, Jamie Lee Curtis, Trading Places. Trading Places? Oh, man, you've never I've seen Trading Places. I've never oh. seen that. Okay, look. If that was on Do They Know It, I would have lost. That's fine. <laughs> Big time. Big time you would have lost. I'm a movie person, but I don't know why I've never seen that before. <laughs> Name me an Eddie Murphy movie beyond that one that you have seen. Um, let, let, because I have this feeling that you may need some uh, some remedial education. Well, I know them. Ah, see, now you're putting me on the spot. Yeah, Every time Mitch right. puts you mm -hmm. on the spot. Here, let's just go with Shrek. <laughs> oh, Lord. Let's just go with it. Have you seen Coming to America? Yes, of course. The original? Yes. Okay. I actually was upset when they made the remake. I, have I was not, like... I, mm. I have not seen the second. I have not. No. Uh, just because... I refuse. I don't know. It just... When it first came out, I was like, this is not right. Don't do this to me. <laughs> I, I have gotten in a dramatically bad habit, and it even shows on my uh, Kindle in terms of the list of books that I have that are waiting for me to read, uh, of 
pulling things aside or listing them that I'm wanting to do, and then I just don't want to get to them. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that, that's that been happening a lot over the last, oh, say, five years. Welcome to the reality of what my life had turned into. <laughs> um, so, you want to hit us with Ask Us Anything? We'll go beyond that. You, you've got the control with the clock over there now. I do. I do indeed. But All right. I, let, me, let me suggest beyond, of course, coming to America, you need to see the Beverly Hills Cop movies. Oh, yeah. I know of them. I just haven't, yeah, haven't okay. gotten, haven't dived into those ones. I, I realize they are distinctly the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. No, yeah. I have seen Eddie Murphy flicks. It's just, I'm also the worst at names. If you've not seen Eddie Murphy Raw, by the way, the comedy concert. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, a little bit of it. I mean, I also remember Eddie Murphy when he was on his SNL days a little bit. So I'm I'm in it. I'm hip. Okay, it's fine. Don't worry. Another <laughs> another good one for you, by the way, uh, that isn't Eddie, but it's uh, Richard Pryor, Gene Wilder. And I'm trying to remember now what the title was. It? Uh, Busting Loose. Busting Loose. Okay. okay. Where they get wind up in prison together all right well i'll add that to my list (laughs) and we got ask us anything there you go um would you rather go without tv or junk food for the rest of your life i could do the tv you go without tv i would go without tv see i think i'd have to give up junk food i watch a lot of tv and I, I love it. The problem is, is my doctor <laughs> will tell you that I should be giving up the junk food. Yeah. And and I have, you know, kind of gotten back on that. Once I got credited for being the star pupil with how my uh, recovery went, the junk food came back. I can understand not wanting to give up junk food. It's like when I'm getting really into working out because I I always do this where I work out really intensely for a while and then stop for a while Mm -hmm. and then do it over and over again and it's always a constant junk food in my life because it's just like it's so easy to pick up chips off the shelf and take them home from the store when you're buying other things the biggest problem that I had when I was coming back from my heart failure was the fact that I was limited to 2,000 grams of sodium a day Mm. and traveling with a basketball team. Oh, no. You're going to have a lot of junk food and fast food. Um, Protein bars as substitutes, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And attempt to limit as much as possible. Understandable. Um. (laughs) And, and I invite anybody who wants to try the challenge to do so, you will find it is not very easy to knock that much salt out of your diet. No way. That is, that's hard. Especially with the amount of salt. It's just in everything. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, just even think about a pizza. Oh, yeah. The amount of salt that goes in that just for cheese pizza. All right. One quick one. If money were no object, where's the fir- what's the first purchase you'd make? Airline tickets out of here. <laughs> Just go literally <laughs> anywhere else. <laughs> Vacation, of course. <laughs> Folks, Mitch will be back tomorrow. Dave G, we expect as well. Have a good one. I am dedicated.